0: We've got Jonah McLean back on Horse Chats today, and he's going to talk to us about attachment theory. Now, last chat, we talked a little bit about attachment theory, and I thought, as well as being very selfish myself and getting a little bit more depth and information, I thought that our listeners would like to have more information as well about attachment theory. But before we introduce or reintroduce Jonah, because he's a regular guest, we know him quite well, I'd just like to remind you... That horse welfare is of utmost importance when humans have any interaction with horses. Within the courses at International Horse College, you'll only see methods that promote safe and humane methods of interaction between horses and humans. If horse welfare is important to you, then have a look at the courses at internationalhorsecollege.com, registered training organisation 31352. Now, you're there, John. Are you ready to talk to us about attachment theory? I am indeed, Glennis, yes. And Jonna, I'm very selfish. I would like to know more about attachment theory myself, and I'm thinking that our listeners would as well. So this is why I've asked you to talk about this subject. And as usual, you say, yep, that's okay. You know, I, I may have consulted with your brother, Andrew, in this last week, but I'm certainly looking forward. But just to explain, we did talk a little bit about attachment theory in our last chat, but the meaning of attachment theory. So what does it actually mean? What's the basis of it?
1: Traditionally, Glennis, attachment theory is usually uh, coined, the term is usually coined when we talk about the relationship or the bond between human beings. Of late, we've started to use that word in our relationships with our horses, between human and horses, and human and dogs, and also obviously um, you know, attachment theory related dogs to dogs and also horses to horses. But we're talking about the interspecies relationship between horses and people.
0: Okay. So are we talking about a relationship between the two? So not humans being attached to horses or horses being attached to humans, but the reciprocal arrangement, I suppose, you know, that that there's attachment between the two and it's mutual.
1: Yes, exactly right. It's mutualistic, precisely that. It's mutualistic. In other words, it's uh, going both ways. It's not just uh, one's perception of their attachment to an animal um, when there's obviously no feedback or no visible signs of there being an attachment in the other direction. In this case, that's mutualistic.
0: Yeah. So, just you know, thinking about science, you know, and and the whole science-based research, if if there benefits of understanding the theory of attachment? You know, if we call it attachment theory, what's the benefits of, you know, to us, to myself and to our listeners, what are the benefits of understanding attachment theory?
1: That's a bigger question than I think both you and I realise because so much more science needs to go into this. There's been a fair bit of science between um, the attachment between dogs and people, but there's been some and there is still ongoing information coming along slowly about the extent of the attachment between horses and people because traditionally, Glennis, horses are beasts of burden in the past and so our attachment to them wasn't even on the radar. It had nothing to do with that. It was all about do as I say and um, do it when I want you to because largely from a driving point of view, a lunging point of view, all those things we are physically detached from the horse. We're actually chasing the horse when we do these processes. That does not help our attachment to that horse. It actually makes us try and surf uh, uh, on, the, on the wave between the horse being mildly scared to do the wrong thing uh, and the human getting what they want out of it, but the horse being obedient enough to comply.
0: Okay. Okay. Now, now you've talked about... There has been work done with dogs and, as I understand, wolves. But, you know, I mean, dogs and horses or even wolves and horses are different animals. What's the difference? How do you see it being different between dogs and humans and, I suppose, dogs and dogs and horses and humans and horses and horses?
1: All right. Let, let's start off. Um, I mean, going back, I, I don't want to go back and dwell on the, on the, on the ancient past from a... Um, Uh, geological evidence point of view, when we start talking about fossils, I've got a bit of a geological background, so I'm always interested in that. But when we first started seeing uh, fossils of mammals, we noticed that um, there were families of them, and so they would have been either in burrows, but they would have been in family groups. And so the attachment was, can I say, intrinsic from the start. And so that attachment between the same species of, of mammals, whatever they were many thousands of years ago, was intrinsic. But what you and I are now talking about is the relationship between the attachment or the degrees of attachment between a horse and a person, and a dog and a person, and a dog and a dog, and as you pointed out, even a horse and a wolf. So to get back to your question, the biggest difference that I can discern out of the entire thing, and I could be a little bit wrong here, but I've got a hunch that the real reason is that from a... a, uh, dog, and a human point of view, I would say that it's an instinctual drive. It's an innate drive. It's almost hardwired, it's hardwired in the dog to hang around people because that gives them security, plus it gives them food. And from a horse point of view, it's a little bit different because it's not innate at all. It's not hardwired in a horse for a horse to walk up to a human because we used to hunt them. So why would it be hardwired? So we have to artificially create this, and so this, and that's why I, what I took on this topic because my my point is that the opportunity to be able to create a degree of attachment with your horse, a, a mutualistic relationship with your horse, is something that is so valuable that I think that down the track, this is something that is going to be. Can I say I would like to think that down the track would become. Almost mandatory, the, the way that we reward our horses in public, the way that we treat our horses is in a different way to what we have traditionally in the past, which is a beast of burden in a traditional sense.
0: Okay, so if we think about the beast of burden, you know, because you brought that in before, and then you talked about chasing the horse. You know we're driving the horse away, so it's a beast of burden, it's not quite like a dog. We're chasing it away if we're lunging it or driving it. How can we then... And I understand about doing something in public, but I think if we do it in public, we've got to do it in private as well. But how can we? how is the attachment theory of use then within horse training? The attachment theory
1: can be applied to a horse if you know whereabouts on the horse being able to touch it. It is all about touch. And, of course, when you drive or you're in a cart or you're lunging, you can't touch the horse. So there's there's no there's no feedback process, no physical feedback between the operator and, and the horse at all. So what I'm talking about is taking those all those scenarios away and from the beginning finding out that touch is the key component here. It is, it is the thing that you see, whether it be horse behaviour or dog behaviour or horse behaviour and human behaviour as well. That touch is really the key component. So. The point really here is whereabouts on the horse is it really beneficial to be able to touch a horse? And the answer is really around about the withers and the nape of the neck is that that is the secret area. And even if the horse doesn't like to be touched there, you can quickly, just with time and with patience, gain the horse's trust, if you like, to be able to have um, you scratch him there or her there at the... At the wither, and I'm not using patting here. I'm using scratching only because horses don't pat horses, and and um, horses uh, dogs don't pat dogs. Scratching um, is that if you're scratching them at the nape of the uh, at the nape of the neck, just in front of the withers there, or sometimes in the wither area as well, we can use this as a really valuable reinforcer for something that he's done really well. And then, if we're smart enough, we can then put a word in front of the scratch, in other words, as a as a precursor, to be able to say, oh, good boy. And if we use the same word in the same tone every single time, we can use brilliant linked associations for a particular action by the manoeuvre that the horse has done. It may be jump to jump. It may have stepped back a step. It may have just stood still, whatever it is. And it's a really powerful one because... We don't understand the power of this because we always go to the food cupboard and pull out a carrot. Well, you know, carrot, food is good, but really, you know, food is essential. I'm not I'm trying to under, uh, undermine the, the value of food, but the real clincher is that when you have scratching as a, as a trained reinforcer for a horse, it gives security for the horse. This is what security is all about. If we think about our attachment um, when we're younger, you know, it's all about touching our mothers. And, and we've, all, we've all heard about those stories that in the past, you know, the mother does all the cuddling and the father does and all the rest of it. And now that it's changed, that the father does just as much as the mother. I think that all those processes are really important considerations when we think about our relationship with a horse. It can't be just based on food because that's a, that's, that's a fairly weak linkage. It's it's not strong enough. But security is by far the one of the best things that an animal can have, especially when traditionally in the past, they're almost hardwired to be afraid of humans because, um, you know, we prey upon horses for, for food and for resources in the past.
0: I suppose also we've talked about this before, the timing of the rewards. You know, if you've got a... If you've got to go and find a carrot and bring it out, the timing can often, unless you've actually got the carrot there in your pocket ready to go straight away, it um, it's just not there, the timing. They don't understand what they've done and the relationship between that and the reward.
1: I guess that's probably in a lot of ways, Glennis. why I really enjoy these interviews because you always remind me of the second element of importance, and that is it. It's about timing. Is that If my horse jumps a jump, for example... And then after I canter around a circuit and then I'll trot and then I'll walk and then I'll give him a, a scratch, it will be of no value at all. So timing is critical. However, where it is really good and where it can be really valuable is that if I jump a jump and as soon as I land and I um, he does an action, in other words, he jumps over the jump clear, for example, and doesn't pull any rails or he jumps it really well, and on landing I say, oh, you're a good boy, and I use that same tone and that same voice every single time because every time I scratch him, I do that, there'll be an association of absolute calmness in the horse um, straight away that you'll, be able to, that you'll be able to sense that the horse is so relaxed because he associates it with being scratched every time, and on this particular time you didn't scratch him, but the association has been made, and it's solid.
0: So I suppose this is then, because my next question was about how is attachment theory going to help us with performance horses, you know, because you, as you said earlier, it was we drive them, we lunge them, we push them forward, but if we can apply the attachment theory, that's going to help us with the important performance horses. So just in the way you explained, is that, that correct? Yeah, yeah. That, that's right.
1: And can I can I just extend that further? And I mean, from a high performance point of view, I mean... We haven't even explored the value of this in racing, and I can't believe that this. We have taken us this long to be able to get an edge. Everybody's looking for an edge in racing. We've just seen the Melbourne Cup run yesterday, um, and really, what we're looking for is the edge. And this is one of those edges that we haven't really contemplated—not just in racing, but we haven't even contemplated in the question. I'm talking about high-level, absolutely maximal performance in in the horse is that if we can get things so well-trained that the horse, you know, these are things that jockeys can do, the riders can do, the grooms can do. These are all things that we can do that will contribute to that end result on that day of things being stacked up well enough to be able to train the horse to win. And and that's that's really what I'm on about.
0: Yep, yep. Stop. I need to interrupt this chat for a hot-off-the-press notification. That is that the latest version of the book, 101 Careers in the Horse Industry, is now available, and the best news is that it's a free download. So if you work in the horse industry, if you have a plan to work in the horse industry and have a career in the horse industry, or if you know someone who plans to have a career in this fabulous industry, then this is an essential book for you to read now and then keep as a reference as you progress through your career. With over 100 jobs to choose from, you'll probably find at least one that you'd happily do without being paid. So simply go to internationalhorsecollege.com, scroll down to the bottom of the page and click on the 101 careers in the horse industry button to receive your free career book. Imagine, maybe one day you could be a guest on Horse Chats. So this is going to help us with the performance of our horses. What are some of the side benefits then? If we... Just in our daily routine, if we're applying a tatterin theory in our daily routine, is it going to help us?
1: If we can make ourselves more familiar to the horse, then the horse will be less scared. Therefore, we'll be able to do more with the horse. And also, when we do something a little bit unusual, we'll be able to reassure that the horse um, isn't under any threat from whether it being girthed up or whether it being... you know, maybe put into a horse trailer or a horse load or a horse truck or put into a set of stocks for the first time, whatever it is, or or a vet comes out, is that these things are going to be really important. And, I mean, you and I have heard so many stories over our lives so far of people saying, yes, he will get really nervous if I'm not here, and this is the owner talking. And they're absolutely right. But, and and, and I've felt that. Uh, I've had horses that... You know, maybe I'm breaking in or I'm training for the first time under saddle or whatever you'd like to call it, and I'm doing something, and then the owner walks away, and things don't go quite so well, and that's because the horse is so comfortable seeing the owner there and seeing their presence and being close by that when the owner goes, it's like a second weaning So, you know, I think that those things are really beneficial for all of us in our safety, but it goes beyond safety, it goes all, you know, into the welfare and and, and the what should be our, our social fabric and our approach to horses, as if this should be all over. And, and while we're on that topic, traditionally, we're all trained or believe that the best thing you can do with a horse and the most rewarding thing you can do with a horse is pat it. Well, patting and smacking are pretty close. So... I would be avoiding that, but that doesn't just say that you couldn't train your horse to like patting, but you're going to have to use, um, can I say, scratching as a gateway to train that. You will have to train that thoroughly to do that. But then, I've never really bothered with that because I don't I don't pat my horses anyway. So, um, But for other people that are compulsive patters, um, and that they would really like to pat their horse because that's what the public wants to see, the best way to do that would be able to build up an association between patting and scratching. So you'd have to scratch, pat, pat, scratch, and and, and, and you have to overshadow the patting because the, the patting is a small smack, in in other words. It's not 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 it's not something that they reduce their heart rate, and that's what scientists, science has shown us, is that when you scratch a horse in the nape of the neck and the wither, you can reduce its heart rate by, you know, um, I don't know, 10, 10 or 15 beats a minute. That's... And that's a substantial reduction for a given time frame. You know, I'm talking about over a minute. You can influence a horse's heart rate by that much just by scratching it. That that would have to be a sign. You know, that's something that's really beneficial. So, one of the things that we do when we break in horses bareback is that we lay on them and we scratch them on the loin area. And and um, a lot of horses at the at, at, on the loin area love being scratched there because that's also a mutual grooming site. And that's what we're trying to do here. We're just trying to replicate the mutual grooming sites. And the primary site is the wither. And there's another site, which is um, um, somewhere at the junction of, of the thoracic region and the rump in that area there. And they love being scratched there. And horses often mutually groomed there. That's all we're trying to mimic is exactly that. So one of the things that science has shown us is that if you scratch a horse in those areas, and he starts to mutually groom you now you're getting feedback now you're starting to see that the horse is becoming really very very comfortable in your presence and if you do that every time you catch a horse and this is I, I was so so pleased that um you know I've had the upbringing that I've had with the exposure with equitation science and you know my whole family is that during black saturday I could walk out in the paddock there's mayhem and madness everywhere, as you can imagine in a, in, a, in a major bushfire, and I knew exactly where all my horses were because before the fire front came, I called them by whistling because they had been trained by my whistle to come up during any at any time, during the night, in the morning, come up for a whistle, you'll get something to eat, and you'll get a scratch. And it worked, even in crisis, and that that's the value of it. So I can't emphasize that enough it even works when you're under huge environmental pressures that's the value for me
0: i'm thinking about horses and just you know what we use them for i mean traditionally ride a beast of burden but more recently we've done a lot of work with horses with equine assisted therapy and variations of that is attachment theory, has there been any research for benefits with attachment theory and equine-assisted therapy? Is there benefits there?
1: The science is pretty thin, Glennis, but the feedback says it all. I mean, we're talking about people with disabilities, and I know a lot of people in the um, RDA and and other people that are, provide the assistance to maybe, you know, people with PTSD and other people in all sorts of areas of work, whether in emergency services, for example, and prisoners as well. I mean, you know, there are people that are in jails that have actually no physical input at all. And this mm-hmm. is one of the sad things. I don't, I don't want to diverge too much, but you know, here we are putting people in jail that are completely devoid of touch at all and we're going to try and make them better. That, to me, does not make any sense at all, but I want to get political about that. But anyway, so we've introduced animals, dogs and horses, and of course the prisoners really, really like that. And and, and we're getting to the point now where I think we're starting to see the value of people that have these, um, can I say... Um, areas of conflict in their lives, whether it be a criminal one or whether it be PTSD or whether it be some sort of trauma in their life that has caused baggage, animals are such a marvelous therapist. I mean, we can't can't underestimate that and the science is a bit thin on the ground, but it'll come, it'll come.
0: Yeah, I love that, um, you know, like just within science, we've got the practitioners and the scientists and it's so good when the scientists... Prove something, but the practitioners say, "But we already knew that, you know." And it's like it's confirmation. So it's good. It's good to have the science confirming it. Does that make sense? But it's also good that the practitioners already knew it.
1: Glennis, I've been on that end of the stick for a long time now, where I've known all along that my gut feeling told me just because of the feedback that my horses were giving me. That there was something really valuable in this piece of information. And then along comes the science and says, Guess what? I've just produced a paper, that uh, an academic peer reviewed paper that uh, supports what you're saying. You think, Yes, finally, I can actually say that there's evidence behind it. It's not just John are telling me so, which is, I mean, there's of no value to anybody yeah. because it's just my word against everybody else. Sure. Yeah. Well, that's
0: the old wife's tales. Yeah. Now, you talked before about um, racing, you know, and you talked about that a little bit. We talked about performance and high performance and racing's looking for an edge. But has there been, and I know that you said that the science is thin, but has there been anything, any evidence to suggest that um, applying attachment theory helps us with the high-performance situations like the racing and um, I suppose even the the world-class equestrian pursuits?
1: Yes, there is. It's not scientific, but there's, there's certainly um, there's st- uh, stats out there that are actually suggesting that when we have horses that can touch one another, they're much more relaxed, they eat better, they're less likely to get ulcers, they're better behaved, and they perform better on the track when we either allow them to mutually groom or they are allowed to cohabitate, which is a bit nerve-wracking for a racehorse trainer because the horse is worth millions of dollars and the other horse could kick the other horse. And I've got a friend down the road who, who's just done exactly that. All she does is she pairs the horses up. They've been with one another all the whole time. They're stabled together the entire time. And then the only time they're separated, um, if need be, is for their work. And she's getting very, very good results. So, you know, there's going to be lots of that coming. And so we're talking about redesigning housing for racehorses. And I've been speaking to a couple of architects here Equine uh, architects, and they're specialists in the field, and I've been speaking to them about it, and and the, what we're talking about here is being able to completely redesign the stabling system, so it's actually all about you know having a group of horses that are able to have some sort of um some sort of uh, input and feedback from one another in some way, as well as the people as well, and that's a that, that that's a That's a big field that I think will produce some really interesting results because we don't no one's ever done this before. This is groundbreaking stuff.
0: It gets really exciting, doesn't it i I've got another question that I want to ask you, but before I do that, I just want to know if there's any negative outcomes associated with attachment theory.
1: I reckon the most negative thing to do with the attachment theory if I had to pick one was that when you're mutually grooming your horse, sometimes they bite you <laughs> so. You know, the horse might give you a little bit of a nip because the horse is used to grooming another horse and, you know, fairly tough skin and they, they sometimes go in a little bit hard. So you do have to be a little bit careful. And the the other thing that, you know, and and this is not a negative on attachment theory. This is a misunderstood um, part of attachment theory. People think they're creating, you know, some sort of attachment with their horse by feeding it. And I, I don't think that that's right. I mean, plenty of people feed horses, but... Um, you know you can't say it's mutualistic at all but I have a um, well I have a person without naming names I have a person that I know a very very well highly qualified um, international rider that um, came back from a really big stint and went out to feed her foals which she um, missed absolutely terribly went out to feed her foals got in the carrot and one bit off a finger well that completely yeah completely um, took a finger off, so you can't say that the horse isn't, doesn't like you or anything like that, but what was happening is within a group of horses, and so that individual horse would have been under pressure to uh, forage for food really quickly, get in and get out, and so in that degree of anxiety and that degree of pressure, it actually just snatched the carrot really hard, but it included the finger. So you know that's probably a downside of misunderstanding attachment theory because that's actually just going out to feed your horses because we think that if we feed horses, they'll like us. And that's, 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 that, that's a misnomer with attachment theory. It's not about that.
0: I suppose, you know, I'm just thinking I, I remember going, and, and I love saying when I went to the Olympics. I didn't actually ride in the Olympics. I was a volunteer for, <laughs> at Sydney, you know. But when I went to the Olympics, I volunteered, and I was away probably about six weeks. And I came home in the afternoon and... Um, I just went up to see my horse, and I'd been away for six weeks, and he'd already been fed. But as soon as he saw me, he left the feed to come over to see me. So I suppose that's that's the test, isn't it? If they leave their feed to come over, then you know there's something a little bit stronger than just you're there to feed them.
1: Absolutely, Glenys, and that that is it, isn't it? Is that if they are willing to depart their feed bin to come over and have a little bit of a yak, and I. I introduce myself to my horses every time the same way. And I do it with all the horses. I let them sniff me and then we do, and they might touch my hand or they might touch my helmet or sniff my clothes because I don't know how I smell to a horse. So I let them identify me first and then I'll give them a bit of a scratch on the wither. And I I always do that really, really gently and take the time to do that. And I don't go around with any carrots. I don't smell of carrots. I don't smell of any food sources at all I would like to think and um, I think that that sort of approach builds up the value um, to the horse of its perception of you even under saddle you know the great thing and I didn't say this before the great thing about having that wither and uh, next side just there uh, even in a saddle you can use it you can touch it and scratch it so it's it's available the entire time. It's sitting right there. It's just part of your dashboard.
0: Yep. The question that I was thinking about before, John, and before I asked you about the negative was, where do we go from here? You know, what areas are there that need to be explored further, or or there's currently being some research in? I think you said there was some research at the mo- you know, like what what can we do? Can we we keep finding out from you, of course, about any ongoing information. But it's pretty exciting, isn't it? You know, I think the whole idea of attachment theory and, as I said, something that horse people knew all along, but now it's being proven that there is such a thing.
1: Well, that's right. And, Glennis, we're at the pointy end of the stick. So, you know, for a PhD student or anybody like that, I think there's a a huge realm of areas in, in attachment theory alone that need to be looked at really, really carefully. And I think the most interesting one would probably be You know, let's say we had a whole bunch of horses. We had um, 150 horses that had been reared and been bottle-fed and been scratched and nurtured by their owners. And traditionally, we'd probably say in the past that they'd been spoiled. But really, we're saying that they have a great attachment to their owners. And then, on the other hand, we have the other horses that have been traditionally weaned and traditionally treated and are completely oblivious to the... To the um, human presence, so you know we've got those two batches of horses. It'll be really interesting to monitor their, their, um, you know, their, their heart rate and, and certainly monitor their reactions to certain uh, different inputs that we do, and especially for these horses that are a little bit frightened. Like, how well would though? And I ask myself this, and I can't say how many times I've, I've said this, how. How good would this horse would have been if we just had have had this horse prior to it being weaned? you know I think I described to you the other day on a program last- last interview that I'd just done a weaning on a foal, and it was word perfect absolutely word perfect and it was the it was a solitary wean, and they're not always easy because they don't have a mate to go to, so they really only got adults or semi adult horses to go to, but this horse when we took its mother away, because it had all those inputs, had no signs of stress at all. There would have been some sort of rage and a little bit of anxiety, I'm sure, but I couldn't see any at all. And the following day, that horse was out in the paddock and it was fine, you know. So there's a lot of value. I don't know how much benefit we could ever understand we could get from this, but I think certainly when we talk about getting the edge, whether it be in racing or, or equestrian, Um, We need every edge we can get because the competition arena is getting uh, tighter and tighter and tighter because there's becoming a lot more people with a lot more resources being able to put in a whole lot more money when really the great news about this is this is something that we can do as individuals. You don't need a lot of money to do this. Anybody can do this and anybody can get to whatever level they like if they have a really – Good, a no, uh, good and you know humane and ethical approach to this whole thing. There's no reason they can't do that. And you know, you know, Gillian Robbin was a, is an example that comes to mind. The horse that she won the gold medal on was a horse that she had from Pony Club. You know, the the that horse would have uh, there would have been some huge amount of distress in the horse every time she disappeared when the horse was under duress, like for example on a plane or or in a foreign stable or something like that. So you know, we can't underestimate that. We don't know how how um, how many times we can replicate that unless we understand things like attachment here and the value of it.
0: Yeah. Jonna, as always, it's been very good talking to you, very educational, I think, you know, for me and should be for all of our listeners as well. If they need to contact you, I know the Facebook page, tell us a little bit about the, the best contact. Just confirm it with us. But remember to, if you go to horsechats.com, Search for Jonah. Then at the bottom of each of Jonah's pages, all of the contact details are there. But if someone's there ready now, Jonah, do you want to just go over your contact details?
1: Yeah, my contact details are um, the pretty the three major uh, ways to be able to contact me um, on my Facebook page is Jonah McLean, um, and I've also got a Train to Win Facebook page as well. My phone number is there, and also my email address, which is just gmail.com. That's all pretty straightforward and easy for people to contact me so whatever ones of those is easiest I'm, I'm able to help
0: perfect jonah thanks very much for this and um always look forward to catching up with you and we'll look forward to catching up with you again next month
1: i look forward to it thanks glennis i appreciate the time
0: okay bye 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 if you've enjoyed this chat then please comment rate and subscribe If you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave your comment below.